Hey, it's the FinTech Newscast. My name's John, and with me, you'll never guess, it's Steve. How you doing? Hey, John. Uh, happy to be here. How are you? Good, good. You should be happy to be here because we're lucky enough this week to have Vodino with us on the podcast. We have Tom Bentley, the Chief Commercial Officer, and Christoph Hoffman, the Head of Payments. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about uh, Vodino. I know you're, you're banking as a service. You're partnering with uh, to provide a lot of um, uh, 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 banking products and, and other products with partners, uh, but it's such an interesting area. There's so much uh, embedded finance, um, people that look like banks that aren't banks. Uh, tell us uh, about Vodino and what you guys specialize in in this interesting area. Well, first and foremost, John, Steve, thank you so much for having Christoph and I on the podcast. It's great to be um, telling everyone about Vadino and obviously the exciting things that are happening in the bike as a service world. So Vadino was formed um, as a bike as a service company, essentially with the intention to address the embedded finance sort of trend that's emerging. And of course, sort of these bike as a service plays or BAS as it's commonly referred to um, within the market. And I guess the secret source of being able to provide um, either one of those sort of two trends is a banking license. So we are very firmly a tech company of heart with over 300 plus developers based in Poland. Um, and combined with that, we have a great partnership with Ion Bank and we all sit under the same umbrella who hold a full ECB banking license. So what that means is essentially we can help not only regulated um, entities, banks, fintechs sort of provide additional services and enhance their offerings, you know, also able to work with non-regulated entities such as, you know, big e-commerce players, big brands. And without that, that essentially is becoming a huge market trend globally. I mean, just to give you some facts and figures, you know, this is seen as a $7 trillion opportunity um, globally, which is pretty impressive. And if you look at sort of, the plays such as Apple um, in the US, our own clients, which we'll talk a little bit about today over the podcast, um, you know, you're seeing more and more um, brands and banks are like partnering to really offer differentiated customer experiences. So for us, it's a super, super ex exciting time. And of course, to focus a little bit on payments, which I know we're going to touch on today in this part of your series, um, you know, it's such a fundamental part of our DNA in terms of how customers move money, not obviously just between their own banks or their own fintechs, but also, you know, within their own brands when paying for services. So for us, it's a really exciting time and a really exciting topic. So what are some of those features that uh, you mentioned differentiating uh, features? What are some of those these days? I, I know that's probably evolved uh, into from, from very basic things to, to more fundamental or uh, interesting sure. ones these days. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the way I like to think about it is banking's been traditionally sort of 2D, i.e., um, well, well, actually, let me take a step back. So traditional banking products that probably everyone on the podcast is used to, you know, current accounts, saving accounts, loans, um, you know, these things have been around a long time. And with the newer banks, they were able to digitalize those products and those experiences. Um, so they were able to, you know, be able to, you know, gain credit extremely fast to make payments instantly, to open banking accounts, you know, within seconds. And where we see ourselves is sort of on that 3D, 4D arena where what you see is, you know, those products aren't just being offered by financial services, but directly, you know, from brands right at the point of checkout or, 
um, when they're offering certain services. So just to give an example that's very common, you know, Starbucks launched a, a wallet for their customers for them to hold funds. So rather than having to, you know, tap their credit card um, each and every time when they're buying a coffee, they had a wallet whereby, you know, they could actually build up some loyalty with Starbucks. But also they're able to, you know, provide insights around the customer, um, provide better experiences against that. And of course, you know, building that community. And, and the key thing here is, I guess, there's two sides. One is um, for the customer, you know, that creates a, a bigger marketplace, um, much better choice of services um, for the, the, the entities themselves. You know, these are different revenue pool, pools that are really, really interesting. The key thing that underpins all these sort of differentiated services is, is two, I would say, two main things. And, and Christoph may want to comment. But one is the ability to really, truly embed our services so they are seamless. So what that means is, you know, whether it be a, a Starbucks, a Nike, a, a Metro in Germany, you, you don't really believe um, there's any difference to that entity, even though there's a lot of very smart partnerships happening in the background. And the reason for those smart partnerships is the fact that we have a banking license. And as you both are aware, having worked in the banking industry a long time, you know, getting a banking license isn't an easy thing and neither should it be. So the fact that we provide all the regulatory compliance sort of frameworks around that become extremely important. And, and this is where, you know, the banking as a service um, world is really starting to, to blend. And what you're seeing is differentiated offerings, because ultimately, you know, you can take the product slash customer journeys of brands, platforms where, you know, the customer is interacting directly in terms of the purchase of those services, combined with the ease of providing products from a financial perspective that help people, A, fulfill their checkouts, but most importantly, whether that be budget for a certain aspect or just simply, you know, um, moving money between one another. So hopefully that gives you a, a good overview. But for us, that that's such an exciting sort of evolution of where banking was 30, 40 years ago. So maybe I will add only one remark to that, that uh, yes. another key element of our of offer is also the technology, because we design and uh, develop the whole banking platform from the scratch. And this platform is fully based on the Google Cloud platform. So thanks to the, the, the microservice approach, APIs approach and modular yeah. approach, we are able to offer a seamless uh, solution as Tom mentioned which uh, definitely reduce time to market for new uh, launching product uh, from our perspective, but also from our partners' perspective. Well, interesting. So, uh, Christoph, I know that um, uh, Vodino seems to be work seems to mostly be deployed in, in the European Union now, or at least in in or at least now in the eurozone. And I'm wondering, what are some of the biggest pain points that you see in the eurozone in terms of payments right now? I know that whenever John and I go to the go to the go to Europe, we always come away sort of in awe at how much more advanced the payments ecosystem is in the EU and in Europe um, compared to, to to the US. But what are some of the pain points that you're looking to address with with your company now? From the one perspective, of course, we are talking about the eurozone, the standardization. Uh, global common uh, solutions and of course uh, some of them are of course uh, common across the whole uh, European countries but unfortunately still under the, the, the there are some countries markets where the regulation are completely different mm -hmm. another pain point is the standardization there are still markets like for example the Belgian one where there are the completely different system for instant payment which is not um, fully uh, compatible with uh, other uh, European markets. Uh, 
So on the second point there, on the regulation, isn't that a problem that will eventually be solved by more standardization across the, the Eurozone? Or will there still be reluctant countries who don't want to give over that power to Brussels and have sort of one payment structure for the entire zone? Um, this is from, from uh, th th this should be all, always discussed from the, the, the two angle. One, of course, as you mentioned, is uh, the local power. But of course, this is a kind of legacy from the, 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 the many years ago. So once old banks, I can say, or the, the standard banks are owner of the clearinghouse, uh, local clearinghouse in one market, they do not want to uh, integrate uh, to the other uh, schemes. They do not want to uh, do the changes fast because, of course, due to the leg legacy of the system, this is time-consuming and, of course, cost-consuming. Sometimes, of course, this is a cost-effectiveness where the cost of single transaction, local single transaction, is cheaper than the European one integrated across the, the, the countries. But mostly this is related to the power and secure the local position to avoid uh, the new players' entrance to the market. How can you actually overcome such a fragmentation given, you know, given the, the 20 odd countries that, that, that you, you work with? Does, does, does that mean that you have a different tech stack for each country? Or again, how, how do you sort of simplify the, the, the payment space? Oh, and just uh, related to that, I guess, do, do you, how much do you have to end up hiring local versus you, you can kind of standardize things in one place? In terms of standardization, of course, we are uh, using and offering access to the, the, the standard European payments uh, uh, based on the uh, EBA clearing. So we are offering access to, to this SEPA credit transfer across all uh, 36 European countries, uh, but also to the SEPA instant or SEPA direct debits. And this is a standard across um, uh, all markets. Uh, on the top of that, of course, we are offering uh, cross-border international payment, which are also based on the, the, the SWIFT network, which is a standard, a common standard on the market. Uh, and this is quite easy to integrate and uh, to offer additional services based on this access. On the top of that, we are offering the, the, the local payments in Poland and Sweden as our uh, two new markets outside the euro currencies. Uh, and this is definitely not a standard approach. So, so based on our offer, which Tom mentioned at the beginning, banking as a service or payment as a service, we are able to offer embedded finance solution for all regulated and non-regulated uh, entities. Yeah. So it's not as a, a so yes, it's not as clear cut as a, as we we think of it in the U.S. Like it's all just one EU and it's, it's very simple. Uh, but um, uh, aside from that. Uh, you know, with this whole Ukraine-Russia situation, Russia has been cut off from SWIFT, right? And I'm sure there's other, many, many other sanctions effects. How much of a shock was that for your company and having to implement those uh, change in rules uh, very quickly? This was rather a standard, uh, I would say, situation in terms of uh, preparing our system. Thanks to the, again to the technology and cloud solution, we can quite easily modify and change the rules in the real-time um, mode. So once there was a new sanctions, like for example, block it, the, 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 the all um, Russian financial institution or block the, the, the Russian as a country for payments, it was uh, 
uh, rather minutes or hours to change the configuration instead of uh, weeks in a standard um, uh, infrastructure. So this was yeah, quite like easy. And, and I think just to add to that, so, um, you know, as a regulated entity through our partnership with ION, you know, we're following that regulation very, very closely, very clearly. The difference with us is that, you know, our, our architecture is completely built in the cloud and it's completely built for speed. So to your point earlier around people and, and sort of how that processing works, you know, that common functionality around Europe with SEPA and, and the schemes that Christoph mentions very, very clear. Where there's that nuances is in that localization. And really that's where we work very closely with the local um, banking partners to you know, adopt things like P27 and, and Swish, which are very specific to Sweden. In Poland, you've got schemes like Kerr and Blick that are very important to the local people there. So it really the, the heart of it all, and I, I think it's very similar in the US to some extent, if you look at the different states, different regimes, you have kind of common themes that run across, but it's the nuances as well clients need at a local level that really is the dynamic flavor that that I think any sort of decent company is trying to capture at a customer level. And for us, that is even more fundamentally important when you start to work with non-financial brands where, you know, these these teams necessarily are very used to payments and very used to sort of e-commerce and checkout. They're not used to dealing with highly regulated financial products or instruments where, where we need to step in. So this is where you get that great, you know, blend of you know very strong technical experiences which is the world that Christoph and I come from with mirrored with really strong banking compliance practices so that when when you get unique situations like we've had across the world in the last two years never mind the Ukraine situation um which of course is very unfortunate and we're ready to address that you know under the guise of what the regulator mandates and of course what our customers want as well well yeah that's very different from the uh, large banks were kind of a lot of times it's amalgamation of all these different systems and and it's very very difficult for them uh to to turn on a dime uh like that uh and vodino i i assume is kind of like built from the ground up for this in one integrated system uh so so you don't have to and you haven't had these uh decades of uh uh acquisitions uh, so, so is is that what part of what makes it uh, so much easier? And what kind of um, uh, technologies uh, did you guys uh, build on that that uh, that really worked for you in in scaling up? Sure. So maybe I'll take the first two points because there's some very interesting points you raised there. Let Christoph talk about the technology, um, considering we've got the expertise on the call. So um, for me, um, you know what's interesting when you talk about large banks is you know many of them have had these style of services you know i always talk about the fact that banking as a service has been around for a very long time you know we used to call this agency servicing right when it was providing payments providing account services to clients the fundamental difference is is twofold one is the technology so as you said you know many banking architectures are built on cobalt i have a, a phrase called cathedrals of cobalt you know very um very good code and that it's lasted it works but when you want to adapt or adopt to you know embedding yourselves into new scenarios into modern stacks that becomes extremely difficult so that's sort of one piece that is, is really really key and and for us you know we're seeing many large banks now looking to how they adapt and adopt for that challenge and to your second point i think as a, a a market standard um you know customer expectation is is changing very 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 fast and with that, one of the key things that's really, really important as we um, A to Z of what this new generation of customer needs, um, the one thing that always is common is how do we integrate ourselves into those existing architectures, 
know, how do we deal to not only sort of the, the digital customer experiences, but at a ground level, what does that mean from a ledger perspective? And, and that's where, you know, the, the mix of modern technologies that we use really, really help. So Christoph, maybe to talk a little bit about the way that we're built on um, Google Cloud and, and, and how that those technologies help us integrate. Yeah, so in terms of the, the technology, the first and the most important is fully on cloud. So we are able to modify and uh, launch new services or almost in the constantly mode uh, without any loose and break for clients. So we can change uh, and upload new functionality instantly. Uh, on the top of that, of course, we are using the smart contracts to uh, prepare new services product uh, internally within our uh, platform. But what is the most important for the, 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 our bus partners is that under one single integration with us, uh, our partners received access to all payments, schemes and services. So this is probably the key element in terms of the access to the payments, that instead of many integration, uh, using files and different formats for different type of uh, schemes, we're offering one single integration for all payment schemes, plus additional payment services to support uh, the payment um, journey on our banking as a service partners. So in this case, our clients, our partners are able to focus on preparing the, the, the better user experience for end users or some additional feature to grow the business in terms of thinking how to integrate, how to connect, how to use payments, because this we keep on our side based on our experience and technology. Speaking of, of the tech side and getting back to a point that Tom, you made earlier, why do you think there's such a, such a delta in terms of how innovation has occurred much more rapidly on the consumer side rather than on the B2B side. It seems like um, we have access to a lot more ways to you know, come do, do payments and split payments and sort of um, engage more closely with the payments ecosystem now. But from a B2B perspective, it's still a gigantic pain in the neck to do anything at all. It takes forever, it's slow, it's expensive. Um, what do you think is, what, what's leading to that, to the delta and the innovation within the B2B and B2C space? Sure. I mean, it's a very good question. <clears throat> so I would think that essentially, um, if you look at sort of the, the, the way in which um, new technologies are being adopted, you know, it's sort of a fast follower model. So in the, in the B2B community, whereas I think in the consumer community, where you see sort of, um, you know, the, the latest generation of apps, and the way in, the, in which they sort of change very, very fast and dynamically, they're sort of um, changing in real time, they're adapting to you know, customer custom demands fast because ultimately if they don't change fast, they die, to be honest. You know, I think about the, the usage of Facebook and the evolution of that into now TikTok and, and Instagram and other platforms. Um, in the B2B world, I think, you know, the way in which you get your car serviced or the way in which you go and get an invoice financed hasn't really changed dynamically. I mean, some of the technology has got better, but this is where I think there's a real market opportunity for, you know, financial institutions to step in. Because ultimately, um, and, and, and obviously B2B is a very general concept, but let's narrow it down to, to finance and fintech. Um, you know, very few players have the privilege to have a banking license or have the authority to make those sort of changes. So I think the reason that we were set up with our investors, Wilbur Pincus, and the way that they've, they've sort of built out the investment that this has taken, it's really to help drive that innovation and drive that change. So 
I'm, you know, I think all of us on this call hopefully are optimistic that, you know, we'll see a lot more change and, and radicalization. But again, it's these regulated services and these frameworks against that are really that are really controlling the way in which we um, deploy things and, and the speed at which we do it to make sure ultimately we protect the customer at all costs. What are some of the uh, changes you expect to see in the next, uh, I don't know, two, three years? I, I guess you're maybe preparing for it or, um, you know, what, 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 do you, what are you guys planning for? Maybe, maybe I'll take the, the initial kind of strategy view and Christoph, I'd love to hear his view on that from a payments and, and technology perspective. Oh, hopefully it's not I a surprise. We... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, hopefully not. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, ev everyone has to be cloud to survive. You know, everyone's got to have RESTful APIs to kind of play in the, the, the modern sand, sandbox. But I think there's two major changes that, that we are, we, we think we're going to see. One is that, um, you know, I think banks are going to continue to have a privileged position, but in order for them to um, compete and adopt, you know, they're going to have to change in where in which they distribute their financial products. So I like to think about the financial world as, you know, manufacturing and distribution. Now, I think manufacturing will always remain, you know, with those financial institutions, you have the balance sheet. I think the real dynamic change is actually going to come from the way in which they're distributed. And for me, that means that, you know, it's not, you might not necessarily get your, um, personal loan from the bank anymore if you're looking to purchase you know a bike i love van moof for the viewers who don't know who van moof are they're electric bike brands but you know for me i can see myself funding not just the bike but the whole ecosystem of the insurance all the kind of associated activities against the bike with directly the brand itself rather than going to my bank and i think that evolution is already happening with some of the, the brand names that i mentioned i think the second industry trend that's really worth mentioning is you know we talked about big banks earlier I think big banks are going to take big bets on this industry. You know, the branch model is dying. You know, we've moved to a sort of common digital place now. Obviously, there are some new banks who've really set the, the, the world on fire. <clears throat> Pardon me. But I think, you know, in order for um, many, many banks to sort of integrate themselves in a very unique way, um, they're going to have to adopt these technology frameworks and look at how they sell or position their banking services. So for me, that's that's mega trend. But I've spoken way too much, so I'm going to hand over to Christoph now to get his view. So in terms of the technology, definitely the the, the big banks and financial institutions with the legacy of the systems definitely they, they need to change the approach or open the, the, their platform for cooperation with banking as a service provider, payment as a service provider to offer better services. To, to, to meet the market expectation, client expectation. Uh, and definitely the, the cloud will play the key role uh, in this approach to, of course, reduce the cost um, of the platform, but also to uh, speed up the, the, the market entrance with new services. On the business perspective, uh, on the top of uh, what Tom mentioned, of course, the, the, the embedded finance will grow rapidly uh, for the next few years. That is why for both perspective from the technology perspective and the embedded finance perspective, the banking as a service payment as a service will, will play the key role on the market to help financial institutions, fintechs, banks uh, change or grow on the market with new services. I, you know, yeah, I, I see the growth of a, a lot of fintechs and, and the embedded finance. And I'm always thinking, are these taking away market share from existing bank products, uh, but but I see that the large banks are making 
just as much money as ever, if not more, and a lot of fintechs that don't make money. Uh, do you see where where? And I keep waiting for fintechs because kind of like visibly take, uh, well, if not market share, profit share uh, from the incumbents. Uh, do you see that happening, or or do you just see like a, do you see it as a a bigger pie realistically? Um, yeah, a, I, I, yeah I think, it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to read in in the market here. Definitely, I mean we're we're dipping our toes in controversial territory now. But to give you my view, I think um, you know the, the fintechs that we've seen either fail or or not do so well in terms of their journey to profitability is essentially that many of them aren't offering traditionally profitable products. Um, you know, there's only so much leeway you can get offering e-money accounts, and especially in the current macro environment that we're in. Also, we, we can't forget that, unfortunately, <clears throat> top me, times like this with rising inflation rates are good times for banks because people are, you know, holding their money in accounts there. Um, and, and banks naturally, obviously, then, you know, take the rewards of such environments. That being said, you know, we're working with a whole new generation of fintechs that I believe are looking at that profitability journeys and looking at, you know, how they, they create value um, for their customers, but also how they, you know, create these new revenue streams. And I think it's the same, not seeing that now for large banks, because ultimately we're on the cusp of, uh, 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 you know, at the beginning of a very new trend, right? There's only a very few examples of players doing mass, you know, really in the truest essence. And I, I mentioned some of them earlier. So, you know, for me, it's the beginning of a, 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 a new tidal wave, a new generation of, of what banking product could be. The question is going to be, you know, how fast brands adopt to the story, what the customer demand for, for these products are. I mean, based on our growth trajectory and, and the, I won't disclose the amount of clients that we've signed, but you know, the types of brands we're talking to, you know, people are preparing for um, the next wave. And I think, you know, Although you're seeing, unfortunately, some fintechs fall over, we're seeing lots and lots of, <clears throat> pardon me, new product plays within the market that are, you know, really disrupting certain industries. I mean, to give one vertical, because we're running out of time, you know, the car industry um, is pretty exceptional in terms of the amount of embedded um, lending products that are there beyond, you know, the traditional um, car manufacturing schemes. And, and that in itself, you know, both across the US and in the UK are being powered by these BAS propositions, whether it be a credit license or in the case of us, a full lending license. So for me, it's 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 not there yet, but, you know, everything had to start somewhere. And I think the next two years are going to really show how fast this 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 movement can can be adopted. All right. Some solid advice uh, from experts in the field. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks a lot for that. And thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks so much. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to you both. And I look forward to uh, a Golden Gate Bridge lunch at some stage when we're over in the US. We, we have McDonald's here too. Yes. <laughs> Thank you very Perfect. much. It was a pleasure. Yeah, that's uh, Tom Bentley, the Chief Commercial Officer, and Christoph Hoffman, the Head of Payments at Vodino. Please hit subscribe to keep up with the latest in fintech news. And thank you for listening.